Hey everyone, and welcome back to the IPHO podcast. I'm Brian, and currently the Global Regulatory Affairs Fellow at Alexion, AstraZeneca Rare Disease, and I'll be hosting monthly episodes here on the IPHO podcast. My goal is to have guests on every episode that will help me provide you, the listener, with a podcast that can help facilitate professional growth and provide tools that can help you become a successful industry professional. We tackle a variety of subjects here on the IPHO podcast, ranging from preparation for mid-year to how to leverage appy experiences and so much more. I really hope you find these episodes helpful. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. And we're back with another episode of the IPHO podcast. As some of you may already know, my name is Brian Arana Madriz. I'm a first-year Global Regulatory Affairs Fellow at Alexion AstraZeneca Rare Disease. And today I have two special guests with me, Joe and Brandon. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having us, man. Yeah, thank you for having us, Brian. For sure, for sure. These are two uh, gentlemen that I um, high, high, uh, have high regards for. Uh, we're in the same fellowship program within itself, so I think it's only appropriate to have them on the show today for a very special topic that is near and dear not only to, to me, but also these gentlemen on the podcast. And to start off with a little background, Brandon Vassar was born in Alabama, but grew up in a small town in Georgia. After completing his bachelor's in biology at the University of Georgia, he went on to pursue his PharmD at Florida A&M University. Following this, Brandon began his postdoc fellowship with Biogen in conjunction with MCPHS University. Here he served as an adjunct faculty to the university, a co-preceptor to incoming API students, and a fellow in regulatory sciences with a focus in strategy for MS products. Taking full advantage of the flexibility of the fellowship program, He then rotated with the advertising and promotion team, which ultimately led to further employment with the same team. For fun, Brandon enjoys exercise, trying new foods, and reading manga. Joseph Wills is from East St. Louis, Illinois. He received his Bachelor's of Science in Biology at Jackson State University and received his PharmD from Florida A&M University. After pharmacy school, he completed a PGY1 residency with Walgreens Specialty and Mercer University in Atlanta, Georgia. Here, he served as an adjunct professor and managed diabetes, primary care, and anticoagulation clinics throughout the Atlanta metropolitan area. He also rotated through various Walgreens specialty locations. After completing his residency, he began his postdoctoral fellowship, serving as an adjunct faculty member to MCPHS University and is on the global scientific communications team at Sanofi for rare blood disorders. In his free time, he enjoys going to the gym, boxing, and playing with his dog. So we'll kind of jump into some of the questions today. Um, I'll save the co- the topic of today's conversation for a few in a in a few minutes. But first, now that we have a bit of background on each of our guests, I'm going to ask a question that I always ask, and that's what made you decide to go to pharmacy school specifically? Oh man, um, I guess for me, it really kind of started back in my undergraduate degree um, education. I always really knew I wanted to go into healthcare. I didn't really have a, like a lot of direction back then. Um, but what I knew is like, obviously in high school, you know, I felt like I had pretty good grades. I knew I wanted to have a lucrative career, um, doing something that I really loved. And so I thought that the direction I wanted to go with to be was to be an MD. That's what I thought I wanted to do. Um, but then as I got older, you know, I kind of refocused my values. I realized, um, that family and work-life balance was way more important to me than just that expected financial return. I started kind of reshuffling the way I wanted to kind of approach my career. Um, so that's when I decided that I could probably have the best of both worlds going into pharmacy. Um, so I felt like with that career, I could have both a positive impact on patients and also keep a presence with my family. So that's what led me that direction. 
And yeah, so for me, um, I think also growing up, I just knew I wanted to have a career where I could help those around me, my community, and my family. So growing up, I had family members that had diseases such as like diabetes and hypertension. But I also knew I wanted to have a career that I felt I could be financially stable and live comfortable. So the summer of my freshman year in high school, I participated in a pharmacy summer camp with Walgreens and SIUE, which stands for Southern Illinois University of Edwardsville. And here I attended health fairs and I was tutored by current pharmacy students. And even I had that, and I also had the opportunity to shadow uh, technicians currently that worked at Walgreens. And also my older brother was currently working at St. Louis College of Pharmacy as a director of diversity and inclusion, uh, which later that summer I did a program my junior year uh, in high school called the BEST program, which stood for the Barnes Jewish Hospital Express Scripts and St. Louis College of Pharmacy, also known as Steel Cop program. And so since the beginning of high school, I really just knew that I wanted to be a pharmacist, kind of stuck with it and just made it happen. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, just just like Brandon and I, I kind of wanted to go that MD route and kind of diverted in the middle of it. And like Joe, which is interesting enough, in high school, I was exposed for the first time to the pharmacy career within itself. So there's a lot of aspects of your stories that I can relate to in that aspect. Um, but a lot of our audience wants to know what sorts of activities were you involved in when you were in pharmacy school and what were your major interests back then? Yeah, so during pharmacy school, I was involved in a variety of activities from AMCP. I was also the treasurer of the, De the Delta Iota chapter of Kappa Psi Pharmaceutical Fraternity Incorporated. Shout out to the brothers. Uh, I also served as the class vice president of my P2 year, and I also helped charter the IPHO chapter of Gamma Zeta at Florida A&M University. So basically going into pharmacy school, my main interest has always been industry, and that was basically due to the fact that I had internships at both Eli Lilly and the CDC while I was attending undergrad at Jackson State University. But outside of uh, industry, I really gained a strong interest in diabetes management as well as ambulatory care, moving more into my P3 and P4 year, especially on rotations. Uh, but obviously leaving pharmacy school, graduating from pharmacy school, I went into a residency, but then switched back into the industry to my first love and passion. So. I think that's kind of was the different experiences that I had throughout pharmacy school. That's awesome, man. Um, yeah, for me, uh, there were a few. I'll just try to pick the three that I feel like kind of helped shape my future and like the career that I find myself in now. Um, so first of all, I was vice president of PLS Pharmacy Leadership Society. Um, at that time, I really knew leadership was something that was an important skill I needed no matter where I wanted to go professionally. Um, so I went ahead and joined. And honestly, I got to give a big shout out to Joe for this because I was just going to join and be a member, but he played a big part of me actually applying to be um, in the VP position. So simply because it gave me more leadership experience, but also, you know, having an officer position, it gives you a deeper insight into the organization. Um, not just being someone who like, you know, is a footwork and does what needs to be done to push things forward, but actually being the person who pushes tasks to make sure they get done and kind of delegating. So I have to thank him and PLS for that. Um, I was also director of conduct and order. Uh, for that same charter of IPHO at our Florida a University. Uh, so me along with a, a couple of our classmates, uh, we decided we wanted some exposure to industry. We did not have a chapter at the time, so we decided to make it happen. So we decided to charter IPHO. Uh, we attended the annual meeting. That's where a lot of us got like a lot of experience, a lot of exposure in the industry and realized where we wanted to kind of go from there and open up a lot of different avenues, how we could find a way in the, um, in the pharma. Lastly, I also did a rotation with FDA. Uh, during my P4 year, uh, that's where I got my interest in regulatory affairs. So uh, my pre-service, she was fantastic. She was a regulatory project manager. 
So connecting with her and really kind of trying to learn from her, looking at all of her training documents, trying to basically train myself to be her in that position gave me a really good FDA viewpoint, which I then decided I could transfer to um, a position working in the company. And so that's how, kind of how I found myself interested in IPH, well, in industry in general. And then, of course, you know, switching over into regulatory affairs. And that's pretty much where I found myself today. Yeah, and I kind of want to highlight something that I, I had written down. And these are commonalities. And I want to highlight this before we go into the, the main topic of this conversation is, you know, being in organizations, being involved in leadership, surrounding yourself with leaders, being around individuals that are forward thinking is something that's extremely important. And it's not really thought about um, for some students, at least. There's some students that go to class, go home, study, take a test. And it really speaks to the importance of having those right individuals around you, but also stepping into those leadership role, whether it's an elected leadership role or it's just a, a, a leadership role that you take on on yourself. You don't have to be an elected leader to be a leader within your group. And in both of your stories, it, it played a huge role in your professional and also your personal growth. So that's something that I definitely want the audience to kind of hone in on is that it's not about what you do, but it's also about the other aspects within your uh, career that get you to where you want to be. So with that being said, that leads us into our episode topic, and that's the importance of diversity inclusion. For both of you, what does diversity and inclusion mean to you? For me, uh, diversity has a bunch of different meanings, right? But the one that really kind of stands out to me is that when I think of diversity, I want to think of seeing a multitude of different representations on my team and where I work. So bringing together those different values, those different ideas that are influenced by different cultures and backgrounds and experiences, literally seeking out individuals who are different, have different opinions, different skill sets to make a company more well-rounded. And then switching over to inclusion, I think inclusion is just having the bravery and the foresight to be receptive to those unique and different ideas, right? A lot of times change is weird for us. A lot of times change is uncomfortable, but the benefit of diversity and inclusion is being able to recognize this person who is not like me does not make them wrong, does not make them, you know, negative in any way. They bring a different fresh pair of eyes. They bring a different, you know, viewpoint, which is built from where they came from, where they where they've experienced that I haven't. And using that to build both of you, to, to build the company, to build whatever directive you're going towards. So that's what I think diversity and inclusion means, just being open and then not only just bringing people in, but actually letting them have an effect that can be, you know, tangible. Yeah, I agree, Brandon. So like for me as well, it's like two different things. So you have diversity. For me, it means like a wide variety or like a diverse representation. And so when we talk about what diversity looks like in regards to humans, you know, there's a wide spectrum of diversity when in regards from gender, race, ethnicity, religious beliefs, uh, sexual orientation, age, and also disability diversity. Uh, so I think that just speaks to the wide spectrum that diversity can include. Inclusion is the act of integrating. So when you put it together, it's about integrating the diverse individuals and their diverse perspectives into an environment. And so like Brandon was just saying, change is, is inevitable, but it's also progressive. So you have to have change and to spark those new ideas from different perspectives that's going to really push that project uh, forward. Yeah, and I think it's important to highlight uh, one thing that Brandon said was change is uncomfortable, but it's necessary. Um, I think what people don't understand is being comfortable, being uncomfortable grows not only you as a person, but that does does that for a specific company, right? Having these different perspectives, these different ideas really drives projects forward. And we see that across the board, especially in pharma. 
I always believed the topic of diversity and inclusion was a necessary conversation to have. Why is diversity and inclusion an important conversation for you? Yeah, so I think that it's an important conversation to have just because, as we just mentioned, individuals are diverse in so many different ways. And in the work environment, having different ideas and perspectives on the situation or project really shows and allows for that optimal creativity. Um, it's also important to feel that you are in an inclusive environment because, you know, we're all humans and we've all felt in some point or aspect in our life a feeling of being left out or not being included. And that's never been a good feeling. So in order to really have a productive work environment, in my opinion, diversity and inclusion are important and necessary. Yeah, to me, it's important because it's really just not talked about enough. Um, sometimes there's this invisible barrier and people who would be wonderful candidates for a job may conscious or even subconsciously feel like they're not a good fit simply because they don't see people that look like them in those positions. Um, even if you're one of the first diverse hires to join an organization, you might feel out of place and that might make you move elsewhere if you feel like, OK, I'm in this position, I'm doing my job, but I feel out of place. I feel uncomfortable around these people I'm working with, even if they're nice people. Sometimes it just feels, you know, weird to not have people around you that look like you. Um, but also representation is huge. Um, we all know there's this huge contention between, you know, minority communities and healthcare uh, because there has been a history of discrimination. We know it's there. Um, we're slowly building on it, but it's a thing. And um, but when you hire diverse groups, you can then serve as a beacon to your community and even just their families. And it helps to kind of build that trust back. Uh, and it helps to build that outreach as well. Uh, rather than the people who develop the drugs, the people who, who the drugs are tested on, the people who the drugs are optimized for, and the physician that give them to you, and none of them look like you, but they're telling you this is the best thing for you, it's really hard to build that trust and to believe what they're telling you if nobody was in the process of getting this particular product to you. So having that diversity inclusion allows you to feel like more trustworthy in whoever uh, your healthcare team is, as well as just being able to know that they're doing what's best for you and what they would do for their family as well. Yeah, and you guys said it best, so I won't go into a tangent on, you know, the, the certain aspects that you touch, but I do agree it starts, you know, at the, at the very top and goes all the way down, no matter where you are in the world, no matter what industry you partake in. I think that the, the, the words that you said are they're very important um, to the masses. Um, and I want to bring up a topic that is familiar for minorities in the corporate setting, and that's code switching. We've all heard it before. Can you let the viewers know what code switching actually is? And in your opinion, do you feel at times you cannot be your true self? Oh, man, this is a deep one. Um, I can bring code switching back to elementary school, right? So uh, being brought up, I was always told to enunciate and speak a certain way by my parents, by my family, to make sure I was taken seriously and I was heard. But then you go to school, you know, with the kids and like, oh, you're talking proper or oh, you're talking different. You know what I'm saying? So that is what the first thing I, I think of when I think of code switching. But to me, at my age now, I think code switching is more of a change in your verbiage and your mannerisms when you enter a certain space. Right. So we're in an unfamiliar environment. You may code switch to a language that society has deemed more appropriate in that setting. And it can be a good and a bad thing. It can be a good and a bad thing. I think there's a benefit to it, um, but often it's demonized as if you're not being your true self. But it can be as simple as you just being mindful of the type of humor you use or the wordings you use uh, or the analogies you use in a, in a, um, in a, in a professional setting. Uh, you don't necessarily have to change who you are in a professional setting, but maybe you enunciate more or maybe you use different words than you use outside of work. Um, the way I would talk to my colleagues who are in the fellowship with me is different from how I would talk to an employee who worked on the same project I was working on. And that's what I think of when I think of code switching. Now, 
I do think it's also true that our language can change based off of the setting that we're in or the social group we're around. I feel like a lot of times code switching is based on a different ethnicity that you're around and they feel like maybe you're trying to align better with them. But I think it's just being aware of what space you're in and making sure that you're well heard, not necessarily changing who you are. Yeah, I think that you touched on some great points there. Uh, in my opinion, I feel that, you know, people often feel like they have to code switch may often come from like maybe a member of an underrepresented group. And sometimes this can be consciously or unconsciously, you know, they may feel, feel the need to adjust their behavior, the language, the appearance, the grammatical structure, as you were saying, Brandon, you know, just to fit into another culture. Um, I think fortunately for me, where I am in my fellowship, I've never felt like I couldn't be true to myself. And that is one thing I've really been proudful about my fellowship position and brag on the most. Um, I think the cultural fit and diversity and inclusion is something I've always been big on when going to different roles or positions. And so it's always something I'm going to be looking for in the forefront when anytime I'm going into a career development or job search. Uh, so like I said, that is one thing that I'm happy for. Yeah, and I, I believe that, you know, most of us, at least minorities for, for the most part, are looking for this particular um, idea of being able to be your true self. And I would agree with you guys, you know, it's not technically not being your true self, but it's just being mindful of the situations that you're in and the people that you're around. So I would 100% agree with with all those things that you guys mentioned. Um, Brandon mentioned representation earlier. We always see in the media the importance of having governors, senators, teachers, physicians that look like you. How important is it to you to see individuals like you in leadership positions? When you do, how impactful that is not only for your professional, but also your personal growth? Yeah, I think from an early age, we learned that representation mattered. You know, I think being able to see someone that looks similar to the person in the mirror I get up and see every morning kind of opens up another level of inspiration because now you can physically see yourself in that position. I truly believe that having a role models I had uh, throughout my life, being in these various positions like government and in the field of pharmacy, uh, gave me even more of a boost of confidence that I could do anything I really put my mind to. Um, and that's in regards to both my personal and professional goals and growth. Definitely agree with what Joe said just there. Um, being able to have those role models and someone who can kind of pave the path and let you know that something is is possible is huge, right? And I think having people in those leadership positions is also very, very, very important. Um, so as children, you know, we think about, we talk about the careers that are available to you and that the sky's the limit for what you can be, what you can accomplish. But what we never really talk about is the pressure or the anxiety that comes from being the first, right? Being the first is something that's different. Like you're, it's always something you can do. You can do anything you want to. Being that first person, it's like a different kind of pressure. And for some people, being the first just might not be your calling, but someone has to do it. Someone has to take that first step. And when you can see people like you being that first college graduate, then you know it's possible. That first graduate from a graduate school or pharmacy school, now you know it's possible. The first black minority director, VP, or head of a therapeutic area within a company, now you know that it's something that you can aspire to because someone that looks just like you is there. There's no way you can't do it if someone else did it. Uh, and I feel like that really opens up people's eyes to be like, okay, someone who looks just like me has done it. I can actually see an example that it's not only possible, but practical. And someone has had a pathway. Maybe I can reach out to them. Maybe I can network and find out what paths they take, what they did right, what they did wrong, what they will recommend for me. And now I think I want to do that. And I feel like, I feel like that's a huge part about having people in those leadership positions as well. 
Yeah, I think uh, when Joe mentioned um, motiva- motivating, I think that was a, an amazing word to use it to describe that. I remember being on a rotation during fourth year and the head of CMC was from the exact same city, went to a school five minutes from my house. And I don't, I don't vividly remember exactly what we spoke about, but I remember being in that room and just thinking to myself, man, someone really left the little four squares that I called home and is, is, you know, in a position where I never thought I could see myself in. So having those people in those places, not only give you that, that motivation, but it puts that extra battery in your back to go above and beyond to show you that, Hey, these are possibilities that can be attained. I just have to work hard. And I think that's something that um, is, is important for, you know, all minorities across the board is to see people that look like you in these positions to aspire to be within that particular role. Um, and I kind of want to touch on, you know, some long-term consequences. In your opinion, what are the long-term consequences of ignoring or failing to recognize diversity and inclusion in the workplace? Oh, man, I feel like there's just so many. Um that can happen when you actually don't have that diverse group that you work with and you don't include those people that are different from you. So um, I think long-term it leads to a loss of talent. Um, I also think it also just perpetuates a tone deaf attitude. Um, you need diverse people around you because they come into these jobs, not just to fill a space, but because they're qualified and they're capable. They're literally contributing to a cause. And as far as the tone deafness, you need to be comfortable having a diverse group around you in a professional setting and at your company so you can comfortably interact with them and say the things you need to say and push business directors for it. So, for example, it's hard enough to reach a deliverable at work uh, when you're facing short term timelines, lack of manpower, no president on how to get there. But it becomes exponentially more difficult when your communication is hampered because you don't know how to talk to this demographic or you're unsure if something you say might be offensive to someone because you've never been around this group of people before um, because you've never worked with this group of people before. You can't get comfortable unless you surround yourself with a diverse group and listen and learn. So I feel like that's part of the things you miss out on when you don't have diversity and inclusion in the company and when you don't, you know, kind of grow it. Just starting, it's always going to be weird. Like I said, a change is always different. It might be painful, but getting there, it definitely uh, leads to positives for your, for your company. Yeah, definitely. One thing that you said that I really liked there was that, you know, it leads to a lack of talent and then, you know, a lack of growth, because as we've been speaking on this whole episode, that change is very progressive. And once you get around that change, that's when you start to really see things happen. Um, I feel like, you know, you're really missing the opportunity to truly foster and maximize an environment of creativity. So it's kind of like a puzzle. You have all these different shapes and sizes of pieces of the puzzle that come together to make this beautiful picture, right? But if all those pieces were the same, then all you would get was the same product. And in a work environment like industry that thrives off of creativity and outside the box thinking, uh, I don't think that you can get that same kind of productivity if you're not uh, having those type of diversity and inclusion initiatives in your own workspace. Yeah, and I kind of want to reiterate what you guys said, because I think it was beautifully put. So consequences, just for our audience and anyone listening out there, the lack of diversity and of inclusion, loss of talent, tone death, you're missing the opportunity to maximize creativity. And I think the way that's put is very concise and it really you know, showcases what these consequences really are. You may miss, you may, you may be missing out on an innovative thinker on someone that can 
take your project to the next level. Sometimes it really takes an additional perspective to push the boundaries on a project to meet those deliverables like Brandon mentioned, right? So having these different puzzle pieces like Joe uh, mentioned put together to make something incredible is something that, you know, the world can take a lesson in, uh, to say the least. Um, Joe briefly mentioned this earlier, but how has diversity and inclusion in your fellowship impacted you professionally and personally? And how has implementation of diversity and inclusion allowed you to succeed? Yeah, so definitely, again, absolutely love my the team I work for. I believe our team has a great diverse array of team members. And again, I think this allows for the culture of the team to just really be amazing. I feel like, you know, during my fellowship process, when I was applying in the recruitment process, uh, this was something about the team that really stuck out to me early on in the interviewing stage. Uh, and I feel like I can truly be myself around my team members and enjoy working with the team around me. And I think that this has truly paid, played a part of to my success so far um, in this environment that allows me to be myself and be my best self. Uh, so anytime, like I know when I go out with my team and we're having these offsites and just having dinner. Like, I know we talked about code switching earlier, but being quite honest, I don't feel like I've really had to just code switch being around my team members. I think that's something that's unique, but that's also important, you know, and it should be an environment where you can truly be yourself and be your best self and not feel like you have to code switch. And so I think that that's something that's truly paid, played a big majority into my success during this fellowship process so far. Yeah, piggybacking off of what Joe said, it is it's not talked about enough how difficult it is to do a job when you're not only thinking about getting the job done, but also what do these people around me think about me? Right. If you have these different things clouding your judgment, it can make it so much more difficult to get your job done. So I think it's huge to be able to feel comfortable and supported with those around you. Um, as far as diversity inclusion for me professionally, I think it's helped me feel more comfortable in a new space and a new zip code. Uh, moving from Florida to Boston, I'll be honest, it was definitely a culture shock, not in a bad way, but it was just new and different, right? So being able to find others that look like me and my cohort of fellows and in my company was really helpful to, again, gain that perspective that, yeah, it's new, but I'm not the only one doing it. I'm not the only one doing it right now, and I'm not the only one who's done it before. So obviously it's possible, and I'm going to do it. Not only can I do it, but I'm going to do it. Uh, being able to have a diverse friend group has also allowed me to be able to open up to different cultures have different experiences, learn, you know, small parts of different languages. And it's fun, right? It's fun to be able to see how people live differently from you and pick up what you can from it and celebrate them the same way they celebrate you. So building all your differences to create connections and network, which then leads to new opportunities, right? You meet these different people. They know different people by making, you know, connections with them, networking with them. You don't know what am I open up for? And we always talk about networking, but Sometimes it's easier to network with people you already know or network with people who you feel like it would be easier to talk to. But when you can kind of branch out and go into those undiscovered places or places you wouldn't normally go, then it definitely opens up the world for you. Right. And it's kind of helped me grow in many ways and just expand what I think the world is and how my career can impact what I think the world is. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. 100% agree with everything that you guys said. It's, it's like the famous quote that they say, it's not really the title or the job but it's the people that you work with, right? That's what gets you motivated every day to come to work, gets you motivated to meet those deliverables. It's about those people and those relationships that you value and that takes your work to the next level. So it's in incredibly important that, um, you know, it's a big, huge part of your success at the end of the day. Um, as you progress in your careers, 
How big of an impact will diversity and inclusion have on career decisions? And how do you plan on carrying forward this initiative? Oh, man, I think it's going to be huge. Um, in general, I'm a pretty social person. Uh, but when I see people who look like me coming into this space, I like to reach out a hand and be that person who was there for me in my past to let me know any questions you have, uh, any type of help you need navigating this space, I'm here for you. Please just reach out to me. And it feels good when you come into a company or a new space. And I mean, everyone's friendly, everyone's nice, but then you have that person who you know has potentially seen some of the things you've seen or lived a similar background. And they're like, hey, I know it's different. I know it's unusual. I know this is your first time here. This was me a year, two years ago. And here I am now, so you can do that. Um, so I want to join more diversity uh, organization in my company as well. But even just organically making those connections with diverse groups, um, talking to students who ask about diversity at my company, how does it look at my company, and being able to like show them what it's been like for me, tell them my experience. And it's been a positive experience. And being able to say that and be truthful about it as they look around for their opportunities, that feels great. You know, it feels like you're kind of paying it backwards. Uh, and it's fulfilling to be able to talk about my experience. Luckily, it has been, you know, fully positive in my space, but it's been great to be able to see it from inside and then pay it outside to people who are looking in. Like, I don't know what I want to do with my career. This is something that's potential to me. But again, it's different. It's new. I don't know if I'll fit in. A lot of people that are in, phar in um, pharmacy, especially where we're from, we learn about, um, you know, hospital. We learn about community. We didn't really know much about industry. And that was part of the reason why we did charter IPHO. That was part of the reason why we did travel all the way to Massachusetts in order to get a fellowship, right? We wanted to be able to see what other opportunities are there. And being open and being able to, you know, thrive in these diverse environments has been helpful to not only us, but we hopefully to the people that come behind us. Yeah. And like Brandon was saying, I think that the biggest thing that we want to do is just be able to be that help. And I think, you know, my main goal is once I reach a position in life, I want to be that person to extend the ladder and reach back. Um, that's always going to be important for me. And, you know, I plan on doing this throughout different ways through our resource organizations once I finally receive that uh, full-time position in the career that I will be in. And then also just also just being an open book, that open door policy, as Brandon was saying, like you can never, in my opinion, I never want to be so high up on the ladder that I do not reach out to any and everybody. Like I always want to be able to extend that, that hand, no matter if it's a fellow and I'm a the CEO of a company, I should, you know, I would want that fellow to feel like they can be able to set up some time with me and just pick my brain. And I just think that's really important. Um, just within our culture, just always making sure that you are that person to extend that ladder and lift up and grow up the next generation. Yeah, no, for sure. I think for all of us, diversity and inclusion is huge in all the decisions we make, just not our career. It's we look forward to meeting different people, learning about different perspectives, because we understand that in order to grow, we must uh, diversify our learnings no matter what space we're in. So that's the main message that I really want to bring out to our audience that this is an important topic and it's important that we continue to drive the conversation so that it becomes the norm within society. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about the topic of diversity and inclusion. Is there something you want to let our viewers know that we didn't have a chance to speak about today? Diversity is also more than just looking for people who look like you. Um, as a minority in an environment. I want people to know that it's more than just uh, staying in one lane. It's more than just, you know, kind of kind of gravitating something that's comfortable. But yeah, there are opportunities everywhere, right? Connections everywhere, good people and good resources everywhere in all different shapes and sizes. So just don't limit yourself to one box of people that you're comfortable reaching out to. 
And uh, don't limit your growth to only try to be like someone who you've seen do something right. I talked earlier about how difficult it is making that first step. And even though everyone is not meant to be the first to do something, that doesn't mean you can't be that person. You could be the person uh, who makes that first step, be open to networking, meeting new people, making those connections and really looking deep to figure out, you know, what your skills line up with and just go for it. Uh, even if the environment is new, it's uncomfortable, or it seems like it might be out of reach, just go for it and be the first person uh, for someone else. That Somebody had to be the first for you. Somebody had to pave the way. Somebody had to show you what was capable. So be that for someone else who you don't even know. Maybe they're watching and you making that first step will open up a space for them to be like, hey, I can do that too. Like I saw somebody who's where I'm from. I saw somebody who looks like me in that position or a position adjacent. I want to work alongside with them. Let me work my way up to that. So just don't be afraid to take that first step if that's the way you're supposed to be going. And with that, that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to extend a huge thank you to both Brandon and Joe for taking the time out of their schedules to have this important conversation on diversity and inclusion. I hope this episode continues to drive the conversation on diversity and inclusion and gives us perspective on how we can contribute to driving this conversation forward. Till next time, have a great night, folks.